Hi, this is Bob Price, Senior Political Correspondent for TexasGOPVote.com, calling from the apocalyptic frozen tundra of Houston, Texas. Welcome to this week's edition of TribCast. Of course, we know Reeve Hamilton would never exaggerate like Houston weathermen do, so take it away, Reeve. Thank you, Bob. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the TribCast for the final very cold week of January. Joining me is editor Emily Ramshaw. Hi, Reeve. Executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. And Ben Philpott of KUT in the Texas Tribune. No, no editor whatsoever. Hi. <laughs> he needs an editor. I'm the one that gets edited, yes. Well, that's why you're here. And you, luckily, we just happen to be recording the TribCast at the same time. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. Uh, well, so Ross is just freshly back from the frozen tundra of Dallas, I believe. Well, fresh is probably in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you can't see him, but Ross is very fresh. Trust me. Apparently the iron on the shirt didn't work too well. <laughs> did you it's, watch the Mitt Romney – side note, quickly. Did you watch the Mitt Romney documentary on where Netflix. he's ironing his cuffs of his shirts? Not yet. While it's, they're on him? It, it is pretty amazing. And he just keeps going, ow, 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 ow. <laughs> it's like a SpongeBob episode. This is great. But he's joking around, I mean, to some extent, with his family. It's, pretty, it's a good documentary. I recommend I watching it, it on great. Netflix. I watched it twice already. Yeah. Wow. I know. Does Netflix already... sponsor us? We should get them as a sponsor. No, yeah, we should. Yeah. Wait till Valentine's Day in House of Cards. Reeve's trying to get is his a... subscription subsidized here. Yeah. <laughs> I know how this works. I, I cancel my subscription. I use my roommate's girlfriend's subscription. But anyway, oh, enough about you me. You have to have a roommate's girlfriend <laughs> for that to work. One thing you can't stream on Netflix is the debate between the lieutenant governors that Ross moderated this week. Much, well, I I'm helped sure. moderate. I mean, there were like 17 moderators and 58 candidates, and you know, it was um, it was kind like a of herd a of people. It was like yeah. a herd of people in the room. It was at KERA in Dallas. Uh, Shelley Coffler was a moderator, and they had a panel of, panel of three journalists, one of whom was me, and four candidates. And at you know, any the, point, did you guys pair off and sort of do sort of partner exercises? I think you did <laughs> well, actually. Yeah, I mean, there was actually sort of this this section where you did you know one on one. You know, interview somebody for a minute and a half. It's it's a little unwieldy just because you have an hour and you have four candidates. And if you give them each a minute for a response and a half minute for a rebuttal, every question, if you do the math, takes about seven minutes. So you only get, you know, six or seven or eight questions in there. And it takes odd turns. You know, if you're in a one-on-one interview with somebody, you can kind of go where it goes and, and touch the points that you want to touch as you go. If you're in a formatted thing like this, the candidates are all tense the, you know the journalists are frankly a little bit tense about you know how the questions are going to go, and so it's it's a it's it's a strangely constrained form. But that said, I mean they were it was I thought it was pretty clear that they were um, unconcerned about November. I thought it was pretty concerned, pretty interesting that they were unconcerned about this whole war on women thing about moderates and independents. They're clearly just running to the right very quickly to try to win a Republican primary that's probably going to draw something like one in twenty five. Texans to the polls. They're really interested in that very conservative small group that decides Republican nominations. And so obviously the lieutenant governor candidates are Todd Staples, Jerry Patterson, Dan Patrick, and incumbent David Dewhurst. Coming out of this debate, did the needle move for any of them, do we think? 
I mean, I don't really, other than Jerry Patterson, they pretty much are like a dime a dozen. I mean, they all say the exact same things. Their answers to the questions are all exactly the same. The only one who seemed to sort of have a little daylight between his answers and the others was Jerry Patterson. And, you know, I think (laughs) that if you're trying to differentiate between these candidates on the big issues, you know, really, there's no way to differentiate. Jerry Patterson also seems the most comfortable up there, I think. I think he seemed pretty comfortable in this setting. I also think Todd Staples was, you know, played a bigger attack role uh, against Dewhurst than he has in the past. You know, Dan Patrick went out there, but Dan Patrick got some tough questions from the moderators, too. Um, So, you know, I think, again, I don't think anybody walked away from that debate saying, I'm sure that one of those guys was a victor. Do you guys feel differently? No, I I it was exact. Yeah, it was everyone agreeing on almost everything, and really the disagreement was whether or not uh, David Dewhurst created Wendy Davis or someone else created Wendy Davis. Um, but it it was very, yeah. It, it there didn't offer really any surprises. I, well, I guess I will say though that I was. Uh, a little surprised by the very first question and answer. Um, I the, asked which was, by your friend Ross Ramsey. Which was the uh, this the was about brain the dead woman life. in yeah. Fort, Worth. Uh, Fort Worth, who they you know the court finally said yes, hospital, you have to you know take her off life support. Um, I, I I don't know exactly what I expected, but I guess I was a little surprised by all of them saying that the court was wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all took the position that you know if you, I mean they'd obviously they obviously expected the question. This was you know hot news at that moment and. They all took the position that you would take if you never wanted to find yourself saying I'm pro-choice in some issues, in some life issues. You know, if if it had been an abortion question, then they sort of are clear about their politics. It's an end-of-life question, which is a little bit different, also involves a pregnancy. So it's, you know, it's an interesting and weird and sort of troublesome piece of policy to kind of get through. But they all very solidly said, yeah. you know, the judge made the wrong decision. They should have um, kept the woman on the machines in order to bring that baby to life. Yeah, they, now, Pat, well, Patterson messed up one thing about it um, in which he said, you know, that this was a case that hinged on her being at least 20 weeks pregnant. And she was 14 weeks pregnant, I think, when she initially went into the hospital. Correct. Something well under 20. Um, right. So I don't think that was really right. in play. She's passed the 20-week mark. She passed the 20-week mark largely because she was being kept alive. But, you know, and you saw all of these guys come out even farther right probably than the bulk of their – definitely than the bulk of their party on abortion. You know, they they were in agreement that a woman uh, who becomes pregnant as the result of a rape uh, should have to carry that pregnancy to term. You know, that that is pretty far out there compared to the majority of Republicans in this state. So, yeah, Ross is right. You know, they're not even – I mean, either they're not worried about November or they are so frantic about this four-way primary that they don't even have time to think about November but, and how this is going to look. If they get to the if they get to the left of of some very far right blogger, <laughs> you know, that could be their primary, right? right. I mean, just yeah. the megaphones but, on some of the sort of just voters out there are much are very loud. Well, you know, do you see though that do you see any of them if they are just focusing so much on this primary and they have to be to the right to the right to the right, but do you see any of them being interested in pivoting? Once the primary is over? Not, I mean, not at this point. And I, I'm not sure that you would, but I think you'd see them leaving themselves a little bit of room to argue. You know, one of the – there's two things that are sort of interesting about this. This was their – they've done two dozen forums. 
And so they can all kind of sing each other's parts by now. And they all know if I say this, that one will jump at me. If I say that, this one will jump at me and those kinds of things. So they've all kind of sanded their positions down. Everybody's very careful about how they talk. And their main concern right now is three of them want to make sure that David Dewhurst doesn't get 50%. And then their second concern is it's kind of a battle between the three of them for second place who gets into a runoff with him. And all three of those guys, Patterson, Patrick, Staples, walked out of the debate saying, well, I think you can see that this is a battle between two of us, just me and David Dewhurst. You know, that's not at all clear. I think their problem it goes to what Reeve said, you know, with the, the bloggers and stuff, is if you free associate with a lot of voters and say – you know, tell me what you know about Jerry Patterson and his positions relative to the other three, or or about Todd Staples, or frankly about David Dewhurst. I think that there's some weakness there. I think that there's some undecided, fuzzy territory there, and they don't want someone to fill that space with, with information that's harmful to them. The conventional wisdom coming out of it did seem to be that if the needle doesn't move, that's to Dewhurst's advantage. Is that true, or if is that only if you think that he's in position to not have a runoff? You know, Dewhurst has two things here. I mean, it's it's much better for an incumbent, obviously, not to have a runoff. Because if he gets into a runoff, that will mean not Dewhurst got more than 50 percent of the vote. And he'll have to cope with that. And then his second concern he's is— through that before. Yeah, he, he's seen and that it didn't movie. didn't go right. well. Right. <laughs> it was a horror movie. Right. Right. And then the other thing that you sort of have to plan as a contingency is, OK, so if I did get in a runoff, which of these guys would I least like to face? Which of these guys would I most like to face? And, you know, I'm not sure what their answer to that is, but— I'm sure they're thinking about it. And and we'll probably see in the as, – as the ads develop between now and the March 4th primary and between now and the early voting three weeks before that, he's going to have an attack pattern. And you'll see by who these guys attack, each of them attacks, you're going to see what they're afraid of and what they think is – you know, see a little bit it's – it's a way to see indirectly what their polling is telling them. So if we see uh, Dewhurst attacking Dan Patrick, we assume that somewhere there's a poll that says he's number two. Right. If you see Todd Staples shooting at Dan Patrick, then you can tell that Todd Staples thinks there's going to be a runoff and he wants to knock out. He wants to he be wants, number two. He wants to be number two. <laughs> right. Well, and you can make some educated guesses based on the opposition research we've seen so far, yeah. right? I mean, you know, we've seen opposition research on Patrick. We've seen opposition research on Staples. I don't know if I've seen any Patterson oppo yet. Not really. Right. So, I mean, you know. Just and a couple the, of things is, calling him a liberal. I think the young conservatives came out. Patterson, yes. right. The young conservatives who have endorsed Dan Patrick had a an attack on um, Patterson that landed in my inbox and in Peggy Fikak's inbox and in Norma Garcia's inbox and in Shelley Koffler's inbox about three hours before the debate. Not that they were trying to influence the questions, right? Um, <laughs> right, exactly. So, I mean, I think you can tell where the threat is perceived to be most high based on the, you know mysterious intel that shows up in your inboxes ahead of time. Patterson actually, also has the smallest war chest, right? He, right. Yes. Right. I, also, I, I actually got a brown envelope on this race from somebody the other day that had my address in the place where you would expect your address, and it also had my address in the return. So I guess I, I guess I sent it to me. Ross is getting paid on the side <laughs> so to do a little op. It's, it's brown envelope season. Yeah. You've got to stop taking that Ambien. I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. What about the – so one of the knocks about the debate, I think, on Twitter and stuff was that it was too focused on these questions like the life questions and sort of hot button. Marijuana was another one. Uh, instead of being about the budget or sort of more dull but vegetables-like policy questions. Well, but have, have, I, have any of these candidates – really made it a priority to talk about policy policy no and and that's 
you know, so you can't – I don't understand how you can be upset that they decide to tackle things like abortion or immigration uh, or – I mean, when all four of them say we should teach Christianity in school or at least religion in school, Dan Patrick very much in this debate seemed to be pointing towards teaching Christianity in schools, um, you know, then you got to talk about it. Well, and a lot of questions – whenever you do a debate, a lot of the questions come out of the news. You know, the, the Fort Worth hospital thing was 24 hours old. We were in a Dallas – television station. That's a natural question. And I think the candidates probably, the campaigns probably would have been surprised if that wasn't the first or second question. Yeah. Well, and um, I think the question Marijuana was started exactly. by the governor. Right. And I think the questioners are looking for daylight. Again, they're looking for ways that, that voters can differentiate between these guys. None of these guys have released any sort of strong policy statements on, on how they would secure the border, right? Or, right. or you know, what their, plan, their plans are for the budget. I mean, I just think that Again, the questioners are looking for some way to to help voters differentiate between these guys. We had we had a bunch of questions that were like I said, you get six or seven questions in a format like this, the, and there were a bunch of questions behind. You know, the next question was about Azel and West. You know, fertilizer explosions, earthquakes. You know, attributed to fracking. What are you going to do about regulation? I mean, there were there were questions like that, but you know, as a general matter, the questions are all sort of related to the news and related to places where you either don't know or haven't established that the that the candidates have any real differences. If you ask them about the budget, the differences are relatively slight. If you ask them about the two-thirds rule in the Senate, the differences are relatively slight, except that they've changed and their the, positions on that some. And your television audience is going to be uh, a bit yeah, more asleep. slight. I right. Think. I think that's right. probably right. Uh, going to the marijuana question specifically, you refer to the fact that it came from the governor. Uh, and I think that'll be our next topic, unless you have anything to say more about this debate. Hop in. So Perry, Governor Rick Perry, Republican of Texas, <laughs> flew off to the elite. Not Katie. <laughs> <laughs> he flew off to uh, Davos, the International Summit of Elite Brains. Uh, and the big news coming out of his <laughs> Sounds time like Reeve there, just burned one, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he basically said he was for the decriminalization of marijuana, which prompted a lot of headlines like, you know, if Rick Perry, of all people, is for the decriminalization, decriminalization of marijuana, then its time has come. Yeah, all the headlines start with even Rick Perry, right? Yeah. But let's talk – I mean, there's a huge difference between decriminalization and legalization. And I think all the people seeing the headline decriminalization thought oh, – Legalization. I mean, Perry has been— they were stoned out of their minds. Yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) I don't think it's news that Perry is for decriminalization of marijuana. In fact, I mean, he's been, you know, a big proponent of drug courts in Texas, of finding ways to divert, you know, uh, sort of low-crime offenders from ending up in the state's prison system and actually making the prison system in Texas smaller and more condensed. Right, that's been something he's really pushed over the last four or six years or so. You know, we called his office afterward, and we basically said, okay, you know, so— did he just make news here? Or is there something that we're missing? And his office basically said, you know, we're glad that it's getting a lot of attention, but this is nothing different than anything he said for the last four years. There's a white paper from uh, Texas Public Policy exactly. Foundation, Mark right. Levin. And, and I'm going to botch the numbers because I don't have it in front of me. But it was basically, you know, if you put somebody in prison in Texas, it's $16,000 a year. If you do something short of that, decriminalize and do, you know, a combination of punishment and rehab that doesn't involve prison – it's four or five thousand dollars a year. So, from a fiscal standpoint, that makes sense. From the standpoint of, you know, recidivism and all of those things in jail, it makes sense. But they're not saying legalization. And in fact, when you say legalization around Republicans right now, the first two words out of their mouth are Colorado, California. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, I, when they were asked the question, to go back to the debate for a second, wh- what was Dewhurst's answer on decriminalization? I thought he said he was opposed to decriminalization when he was asked about it. He sounded like he was, um, you know, he frankly, he wandered a bit. and mm-hmm. But... but he he sounded like he was for leaving the law right where it is and for, you know, and then Patterson came in with the, you know, we're not going to go back to the 60s and 70s when, you know, having one marijuana cigarette was a felony. I like that he uses the term marijuana cigarette. Yeah, marijuana cigarette. Yeah. Um, well, he also, he's also well, the he, only human in Texas who actually knows what THC stands for, which oh my now God, I can't remember anymore. He pulled that out of his and, ear in an amazing way. And so what does it stand for? I don't have any idea. Tetracananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananan
Her but. daughters also released open letters defending her mothering of them, saying she, ne- she never abandoned them, that she had sort of been in their lives the whole time. And Drew, her daughter, Drew actually um, introduced her at the fundraiser on Tuesday night. Yeah, they've got a rapid response team that is still working on the word rapid. And they, they, I mean, a week later, they still they got – you know, I think they probably had a pretty decent response. But it should have been a Tuesday earlier. You know, this this story that started this round of this was a Wayne Slater story in the Dallas Morning News on Sunday a week ago. And on Monday, it sort of caught fire in that way. And on Tuesday, had they had a response, they might have – cut this off. But I think to some extent, I mean, it's not going to be the issue of the campaign, I don't think, but I think to some extent now this is baked into the cake. You know, they had a week of social media, a week of all the, you know, the trolls and the social media gnats arguing about it. And and I think this is going to be one of the subtexts all the way. Could it be a subtext that affects Republican women? I think one of the interesting things of the last week was the weird Greta Van Susteren, Eric Erickson fight. Did you guys follow that at all? Yeah. Well, the 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 Female anchors, the female anchors at Fox News like to fight with him all the time. Uh, it was not just Greta. They, what, a couple months earlier, uh, 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 gosh, the new 9 o'clock person, uh, Megan Kelly, is that right? Also had an argument with him because he was saying something that she felt was extremely sexist. So that that's not really new that they're – Eric Erickson is uh, – Oh, conservative yeah. blogger out of Atlanta. Uh, Red, Red State. State. Red State, right. Uh, he he coined his, the term abortion Barbie. He did. He was the one – it was his big event uh, in South Carolina where Governor Perry announced that he was running for president. That's right. Right. So, uh, uh, yeah, you know, that's uh, – I think it's going to be interesting to see how far uh, people like Eric Erickson and other kind of supporters of, of Abbott push this and whether or not it Abbott or, or anyone more associated with the campaign feels any need to respond beyond uh, beyond not saying anything. I don't know. I think the independent undecided voter is a myth. I really do. I mean, I think when push comes to shove, you know, Democrats have their work cut out for them in luring new voters to the polls. <laughs> That's the way I think the path forward for them is luring new voters, people who have not previously voted to the polls. But this idea that there are these people who don't have their minds made up and are going to be swayed to vote Democratic, Republican voters who are going to be swayed to vote Democratic because they think Wendy Davis has been attacked as a woman, I just don't buy that. And, you know, Democrats are still trying to get the, I think it's about a million and a half voters who voted in the 2008 primary who have never been back to another Democratic primary in Texas. They came to the Hillary and Barack Obama show, and they didn't come back. I mean, they've got to not only get new voters, they've got to get their own old voters back right. and, and energized again. And and, and, and there's no there. show this time around. And, and, and I think, no, you know, at the back presidential to, level. Well, and back, back to the original question. I mean, if, if the Republicans, you know, the Republicans are doing this in a way that sort of asks the question, you know, are, are Democratic voters going to get energized by this male or female, um, and are they going to get energized in a way that Republicans ought to be afraid of? And if you're watching the actions of, like, the lieutenant governor candidates right now, the answer, I think, is probably no. Right. I think Ross is exactly right and hits on a smart point here, which is that the Republicans have to worry about about their efforts mobilizing the wrong party. You know, I don't think it's that they have to worry about their own voters turning around and voting Democratic. Right. It's it's the mobilization and how energized and excited do you get this, you know, base of people who disagree with you, um, you know, by going after somebody's biography. Mm. And it's, it's entirely yeah. possible that the – I mean, it's really the true believers that are paying the most attention right now and get the most worked up. And I think both sides can be guilty of sort of uh, revving up the other side with sort of – maybe questionable information or tactics. I think one of the things we've seen the last week that's been a quieter 
controversy, I guess, is that, and I think the first time I saw it raised was on our site, is this sort of like disability truthers, uh, people online questioning Greg Abbott's, like if he's actually in a wheelchair, if it's all an act, which is, is pretty Crazy. sort of, you know, this isn't a Tim Robbins despicable, movie. I think. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah, it insane and it's disgusting. I mean, yeah. a, you know, anytime the conversation moves into that realm. But I just think, you know, I think that the Davis camp had an opportunity really to to try to put this conversation to rest, you know, 10 days ago. And really, you know, releasing emailed statements is, you know, in my opinion, dragging your feet on something like this. They've allowed this news cycle to just sort of like perpetuate. Right. So we've seen both the campaigns in this in a sort of early disarray when the stories about – Davis's resume started back in September when Jay Root of the Tribune and Peggy Fikak of the Houston Chronicle and San Antonio Express initially wrote about this. The Abbott campaign was not in position to do anything about it. And, you know, if they were in position to do anything about it, they didn't because Davis hadn't announced yet. And, you know, I guess you could hope against hope at the time. And I think that, you know, they or their confederates, and I don't know which, uh, but they or their confederates got this thing – to bubble back up, and this time they were in position to exploit it and put, you know, some air beneath its wings, and Davis was really slow to respond. So, you know, you saw the Abbott campaigns sort of lumbering out of bed, you know, back in back in September, and now the Davis campaign's doing it. And I think by the time we get to, uh, you know, the real fight here, by the time they're both nominated, as I assume they will be, I, I, I you know, They'll both be big-time campaigns. See, but I, <clears throat> I've kind of thought that, you know, this is one of those situations where the people that are absolutely paying attention right now, I, I, I do agree that there's not a whole lot of undecided sitting out there, but that the people who are paying attention right now, no one was going to have their mind changed by what happened. And I told someone the other day, like, they said, you know, is this a really big deal? Is this going to be a big thing? And I said, well, do you see Greg Abbott bringing it up at a debate in September? With Davis, and they said, "Well, no, that he could, it could totally backfire, and it uh, you know wouldn't work." And I said, "Well, then I'm not sure that it's a big deal." I mean, I I get the whole well, it's I slow see it and everything. Up in a debate in September, you really? Know, you think so? We're yeah. expecting you to run this state, and you know you can't even hold fast the the facts about your life. Right. I, I mean, think you just have to be you have to. But I mean, be careful about how you bring use it. Up. it. Yeah. I'm saying could – well, uh, you're saying that I would say – I thought a moderator might say. <laughs> but, yeah, I'd be no, I mean I'm thinking saying. of Abbott saying something like that, you know, not wading into the details of her bio necessarily, but wading into, you know, that she can't keep her facts straight, that kind of allegation. I could certainly see hmm. an Abbott confederate telling a moderator, hey, you ought to ask this question in the debate in September. <laughs> yeah. I can totally see that. Do you think uh, this isn't exactly the gubernatorial race, but uh, – Will these James O'Keefe videos of Battleground Texas folks, which gets to the mocking uh, Abbott's disability, because that's right. what one of the videos was purportedly about, right? Was people at a Democratic gathering behind the scenes sort of mocking him for being in a wheelchair. Uh, will those videos sway anybody, have any effect on the political landscape of Texas? You know, the undecided voters here that both sides have to talk to, and we've sort of knocked this around, are not people who haven't made up their mind. It's people who haven't decided whether to vote or not. And and, and the issue here is going to be voter motivation. And those kinds of videos might motivate some Abbott supporters to get up and go to the polls. Um, that, those sorts of things, uh, whether it will be these or, or, or something else, those sorts of things – might be used to motivate a you know a Republican voter. You know some of the stuff on the other side, some of the sexist stuff, and some of the war on women stuff, and all of that might be used to motivate Democratic voters. But I, I think the people that they're trying to 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 get to here are people who are you know 
possible voters who aren't necessarily likely unless you show them some reason to get up off the couch. So we're just never going to get to transportation education. I, no, I actually think we. I actually <laughs> I think, think we, we will. will. You mean you mean in this podcast? To. We're not going no, to this podcast. No, but I, I mean the thing about those O'Keefe videos is that you know they've been sort of so widely discredited as you know being roughly edited to stitch things well, together. I mean, Jay they were, listened to Jay watched all three hours of the raw footage yesterday. Jay doesn't have much of a life, honestly. It. Yeah, and and that the, explains the ambulance. The, <laughs> yeah, right. and the big scene where the woman says, you know, says Greg Abbott isn't attractive and he's in a wheelchair, and everyone like bursts into laughter. If you watch that, really, it's some sort of nutty woman at this event who says that, and then it's like crickets afterward. The laughter has been, like, totally stitched Oh, they put in a laugh track, huh? Well, they put in a laugh track. We should say that. I mean, James O'Keefe is mm-hmm. the guy who famously brought down Acorn with his heavily edited and misleading videos. Well, right? he, did, he did it to NPR. He tried to do something to NPR, too. Yeah, I mean, there, his stock and trade is uh, doing undercover videos, and he then edits to sort of provide his interpretation of the truth. I think it could also it could also make Democrats want to get up and vote too. I mean it's almost like having, you know, if Rush Limbaugh attacks Wendy Davis, more Democrats get mad and James O'Keefe doesn't quite have is it James? He doesn't quite have the name ID that uh, it's Mr. O'Keefe to you. Mr. O'Keefe, yeah. He doesn't quite have the name ID that Rush Limbaugh does, but it, he's known as a, this is a, you know, people consider him a conservative surrogate. And so if he's attacking, then, you know, that can get Democrats just as mad. But. Do, you, do you guys think anybody's paying attention right now? I mean, I think we're, this is, Us. We're, in, we're in the yeah, early, 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 no. early preliminaries. This is like where the Olympics were last July or, or, or June. I mean, I don't think normal humans are paying attention to this. And, and I'm not sure that any of this stuff while it might be sticky with some of the activists, is going to be sticky with the kinds of people who are going to be voting in November that they're going to be vying, whose attention they're going to be vying for. But the discussions that's had about these issues now, sort of like Ben was getting to, may be the filters through which we see what the debate topics will be in a few months. Maybe. So, I mean, it might have a trickle-up or trickle-down effect, which are, you know, but... They might also not. They might how have no you, effect at all. Yeah, like, like Ross said, how can you how can you expect to find enough money to pay for roads when you don't even know how old you were when you lived in a trailer? Is that is that going to come up in the debate? Well, and, the, and just because this is like a pet peeve of mine, the question is not how old she was when she lived in the trailer. The question is how old she was when she got divorced. Well, that's right. That's right. Well, and everybody who's ever been divorced, um, asterisk here, everybody who's ever been divorced has two dates in their head, and, and the date that's most likely in your head is the date you left and not the date the judge signed it. I'll just it say. It depends on who the judge was, I guess. <laughs> it was a very if memorable was a judge. Cue the violin music. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, speaking of music, we should thank Shiny Ribs for doing our theme song and encourage anyone who is out there to send questions and comments to uh, Tribcast at texastribune.org. Any so final not, thoughts? We're not going to talk about the Grammys? Okay, never mind. No, we're not going to talk about the Grammys. <laughs> I, you know, I watch a lot of that nonsense, and I do not watch the Grammys. Uh, <laughs> on behalf of Ben, Ross, Emily, and our producer Todd, this is Reeve. Thanks for listening. Hey, hello, hello, hi, Todd. Hello, Todd. Hello, Todd.